Hello out there, science nerds. You're listening to Evolving with Mr. V, a weekly podcast that covers the week that was in AP Dual Credibology and much more. I'm your host, Mr. Oscar Velasquez, your master of the biological arts, and this is officially episode 18, week 18 of the 2019-2020 school year. And a happy new year to you all on this first week of school of the second semester. And here's to hoping that all of you out there that made some New Year's resolutions have so far stick to your commitment and if you didn't oh well there's always next year in this week's podcast we will recap the week of january 6th through january 10th in ap dual credit biology and look forward to the coming week as well spoilers dna origami due wednesday and dna quiz happening soon In this week's second segment, I'll do a quick rundown on the story, The History of DNA, discussing some of the experiments and scientists that shed light on the function and structure of DNA. In our final segment, we continue with the new part of the podcast called Five Questions with Mr. V, where I'll interview our second guest and ask five questions to get to know our guests just a little bit better. Now, before we begin the podcast, we need to hear from our sponsor in a segment I call Mr. V Needs to Supplement His Income to Pay Them Bills. This episode is brought to you by Quorum Sensing. Hey, are you having trouble organizing your friends to accomplish a task? Is it a hassle to get a group of your friends together to decide where and when to eat or decide what to do on the weekend besides studying for AP Dual Credit Biology? If so, you need Quorum Sensing. Yes, quorum sensing will help you release those signaling molecules that will help count your friends, make sure there's enough of you, and then launch you to your destination to accomplish your task. So no more indecision, no more infighting with your friends. Just take quorum sensing and start releasing those signaling molecules that will have you and your friends enjoying life. Quorum sensing has only been shown to work in bacteria and not eukaryotic organisms. And we're back. So let's go ahead and hit that rewind button. And review the week that was in AP Dual Credit Biology. On this first week of the second semester, we started our journey and deep dive into Chapter 11, Cell Communication. And at the end of the week, introduced Chapter 16, DNA. So let's go ahead and highlight some of the biggest concepts and events that occurred during the week. So this week, our focus was on cell communication, something all cells have to do to coordinate their activities, to grow, to develop, and to adapt to their ever-changing environments. Now, when it comes to cell communication, cells can communicate when they're close or near each other, what we call local signaling, or when they are further apart, what we call hormonal or endocrine signaling. So let's recap the different types of local signaling that we see in cells. First up is paracrine signaling. This is when one cell starts to release a signal molecule and it affects or binds to receptors of several cells nearby. Coromsensine is bacteria's version of paracrine signaling where they release those signal molecules that help bacteria form biofilms or possibly even glow in the dark like in the bacteria Vibriol fissurae. Next up, Synaptic signaling, which is a type of local signaling specific to neurons or nerve cells, where a cell, a neuron, releases a signal molecule and it affects or binds to just one other cell nearby. Now, in neurons, that signal molecule release is referred to as a neural transmitter, and it travels a short distance between the two neurons called a synapse or a synaptic gap. 
Another type of local signaling is called juxtacrine signaling, where cells are physically attached or in contact with each other via gap junctions, plasmodesmata, or signal molecules and receptors that are bound to their cell membrane. And they're able to release those signal molecules through these direct connections, creating that sort of cell event or cell response. One last type of local signaling is called autocrine, where a cell releases a signal molecule and it acts on itself. The signal molecule will bind to a receptor on its own cell membrane, creating that cell event. Sometimes autocrine signaling is also paracrine signaling, where that signal molecule can act on itself, but also other cells that are nearby. Now, for more long-distance communication between cells, they will use hormonal or endocrine signaling, where cells will release a signal molecule that will travel some distance to affect or bind to receptors of cells further away to initiate some sort of cell response. Now, in animals, this signal molecule will usually travel through the circulatory system through blood vessels to reach their destination. Now, when cells communicate, no matter if they're near each other, direct contact, or further away, at the heart of every cell communication is a cell signaling pathway known as a single transduction pathway. And every single transduction pathway has three components, reception, transduction, and response. In reception, the signal molecule, called a ligand or ligand, binds to a receptor, usually on the cell membrane, but not always. It could sometimes be an intracellular receptor, like maybe on the ER membrane. Now, when the ligand or ligand binds to the receptor, the receptor changes its shape. It goes through a conformational change that starts the process of passing the message of the signal molecule down. In the next step, called transduction, the message of the signal molecule, the ligand, is passed down a series of relay molecules, sort of like falling dominoes. As each domino falls, it passes the message to the next domino and so forth until it triggers the cell event. Important note, only the message of the ligand is passed down. The ligand or ligand itself only binds to the receptor and is not transported across a membrane by the receptor protein. Once again, only the message is being passed down. In the transduction step, these dominoes falling or relay molecules are usually protein kinases that are being activated. Each protein kinase phosphorylates the next protein kinase, turning it on and passing the message down. Now eventually, the cell needs the cell signaling pathway to stop, and this gets done by protein phosphatases. They pretty much do the opposite of protein kinases. They take the phosphates away from the protein kinases and hence turn them off and stops the cell signaling pathway. In the last step, response, the last domino or protein kinase will phosphorylate the target enzyme or protein creating the cell event that initially was signaled by our ligand or ligand. The response can be something in the cytoplasm like rearrangement of the cytoskeleton or maybe activation of a key enzyme in a metabolic pathway like cell respiration. 
The response can also be an event that occurs in the nucleus, and if so, it's usually regulating gene expression, either turning on or off genes by phosphorylating transcription factors that will bind to DNA and initiate transcription, which will produce proteins, creating cell events like cell division, apoptosis, or the production of a particular protein like maybe insulin. So, to recap, in every signal transduction pathway which composes every cell communication, we have three parts, reception, transduction, and response. Well, that was the main focus of chapter 11 and our notes. Make sure to read chapter 11 by logging into masteringbiology.com to get that additional depth and clarification on these concepts. Now, let's do a quick rundown of the activities we worked on for cell communication. Our first activity was viewing a TED Talk called How Bacteria Talk by Bonnie Bassler, introducing cell communication in bacteria, which we call quorum sensing. Students listened to the TED Talk and answered two sets of questions over how bacteria talk. We then strengthened our knowledge and understanding with two cell communication pogo activities, one over types of cell communication, paracrine, juxacrine, autocrine, and so forth, and the other over the components of a signal transduction pathway. Students turned in two of the three activities on Thursday. Which two? Well, that differed between periods, so make sure you check with me to see which two you'll need to turn in if you miss Thursday. Another event for this unit was our cell communication quiz, which dropped on Thursday. Students will get the results back on Monday. One last activity that helped conclude this unit was a case study called My Dog is Broken, where students helped a friend understand signaling pathways that were giving her dog a sad and lonely existence. Well, those were the main concepts and events covered in the week that was in AP Dual Credit Biology. And now to our second segment, where I will do a quick rundown on some of the history of DNA and highlight some of the experiments and scientists that shed light on the function and structure of DNA. So let's start our quick rundown. First scientist, Frederick Griffith, in 1928, injected mice with streptococcus pneumonia, mixed two different strains, a safe strain and a deadly strain, and found out that when he injected it to the mouse, that the deadly strain was somehow transforming the harmless strain into a deadly strain. So he ended up calling this the transforming particle, kind of suggesting that something in cells can end up controlling the cell, maybe having the instructions of the cell. Next up, we have three scientists, Avery, McCarthy, and McCloyd. Now, they were on a mission to try to figure out what this transforming particle was because half of the scientific community believed it was proteins, the other half thought it was DNA, so they were on a mission to figure this out. What they did is they purified both the DNA and proteins from that deadly streptococcus pneumonia bacteria and infected harmless non-pathogenic bacteria to see which one of these would actually transform it to a deadly strain. And what did they conclude? They concluded that 
DNA was that transforming particle. However, the scientific community still wasn't convinced until 1952, where Hershey and Chase did an experiment that confirmed that DNA was indeed that transforming particle. Now, they worked with something called a bacteriophage, a virus, which is a very simple organism, a very simple molecule, just a protein coat that surrounds a DNA molecule. So what they did is use radioactive isotopes to tag the protein and the DNA. They use a radioactive sulfur to actually label the protein and a radioactive phosphate for the DNA and then let it attack a bacteria. And then they could see exactly where both of those molecules were going to end up. And what did they find out? That only DNA actually entered the cell and took control of the cell. The protein always stayed on the outside. And this confirmed that DNA was that transforming particle and was that genetic material of the cell. Now, after DNA was confirmed to be, once again, that transforming particle, it was a race to figure out what the structure of DNA was like. And the first scientist to make a big breakthrough was Erwin Chargoff. Now, he discovered that DNA is composed of four nitrogen bases, adenine, thymine, guanine, and cytosine, and that they vary from species to species, and that all four bases are not in equal quantity. But he did notice something very interesting about the ratios they come in. He noticed that adenine and thymine always came out to almost the exact ratio. For example, in humans, it's about 30% and that guanine and cytosine always come out in the same ratio, which is about 20%. So this eventually led to the base pairing rules we know now that adenine always base pairs with thymine and guanine with cytosine. Our next stop in the history of DNA leads us to Rosalind Franklin and Maurice Wilkins, where in 1952, they used a technique called x-ray crystallography to take pictures of DNA that pretty much revealed its structure, its structure of a double helix. However, they're not the main ones who get the credit for the structure of DNA. That goes to our last two scientists, Watson and Crick. Now, Watson and Crick in 1953 published a one-page paper that shows the structure where they describe the structure of DNA as a double helix. Now, they were only able to do this with Rosalind Franklin's picture that she took of DNA with that x-ray crystallography technique. Now, Watson and Crick later on won the Nobel Prize in Science. However, Rosalind Franklin did not win. She actually passed away at the age of 38 because of cancer because of her x-ray crystallography technique. However, in the last 15-20 years, they're finally giving her the credit she deserves. They're acknowledging her a lot more in textbooks and in the discovery of DNA. Because once again, that picture directly led to the structure of DNA for the description and structure of DNA being a double helix molecule. And that is our short recap of the history of DNA. Make sure to get the notes down on the outline. Don't forget to start reading that chapter 16 and play the DNA game. The link to the game is on Edmodo.
And now to our final segment called Five Questions with Mr. V, where I will ask five questions to our special guest to get to know this guest just a little bit better. And this week's guest is another very special and important person in my life, my firstborn, my everything, Ellie Velasquez. So welcome to Five Questions with Mr. V. Can you introduce yourself to our audience and maybe tell our audience a little bit about yourself? My name is L.A. Genevieve Velasquez, age eight and a half. I'm in third grade. My favorite talent is to sing, and I go to Robo Verde Elementary School. Excellent. Now, what is your favorite song to sing right now? My favorite song to sing right now is either Lost in the Woods or In, t- in the Unknown. Uh, those are songs from what movie? Frozen 2. Frozen 2. Okay, so Ellie, are you ready for your five questions? Yes. So here you go, Ellie. Here's your first question. Now, Ellie, you do go to Rob Roverti and you are a third grader. Ellie, what is your favorite subject in school right now? My favorite subject in school right now is recess and lunch. Recess and lunch? Come on. I'm just kidding. My my actual favorite subject right now is P.E. P.E. Gym. I loved gym when I was a kid. Uh, What do you guys do in gym? What's your favorite things to do in gym? My favorite things to do in gym are noodle tag or dodgeball. Dodgeball. Now, when you play in dodgeball, are you one of the first ones out or are you one of the last ones in? Mostly, I get out to the middle to the end. Okay, excellent. Well, that's an awesome job playing dodgeball. Okay, Ellie, are you ready for our second question? Yes. Okay, so our next question. Ellie, I hear you're entering the science fair. Ellie, what is your project, your experiment going to be about for the science fair? My science fair experiment is like how much bacteria gets on your cell phone or any other electronic when you bring it into the restroom. Oh, gross. When you people take their electronics, their smart devices into the restroom. I don't even want to know what happens. Yeah, I think that's pretty gross. Well, I am looking forward to those results of your experiment. Okay, Ellie, next question. Well, you just got some braces on your teeth. Can you tell us, you know, how do those braces feel? How did they feel being put in? How do they feel right now? And what do those braces actually look like right now? When they got my braces on, it was very annoying because they put this thing around your mouth and if i spoke it would sound like this Uh, it's very annoying and what they feel like right now well they're good i got used to them poking me but i'm way beyond that i'd barely even feel the pokes anymore if i don't you know do it on purpose or anything and what they actually look like I have four of them on my top teeth. They are all heart-shaped and they're all colored aqua. Well, they look beautiful and you are going to have a beautiful smile. And you're so brave getting braces at such an early age. Okay, Ellie, are you ready for your next question? Yes. So, Ellie, what is your favorite TV show and movie that you're watching right now? Well, I can't actually watch it right now because I'm doing this interview. Funny. What it is, is for my favorite show, it's it's on Netflix and it's called The Dragon Prince. 
I love it. I haven't finished a thing, and I can't watch any of it when, until the whole family is there. So sometimes I just go back to the episodes, like for the start, and I keep going until it comes to the part I'm on. Well, it is an excellent show, and it is a family show. I definitely recommend it all to uh, to all of you guys out there. It's an awesome animated show, and it just has great mythology to it. You know, there's dragons in it. There's magic. There's elves and humans all sorts of awesomeness in that show ellie what about movie what is your favorite movie that you've seen lately my favorite movie that i've seen lately is actually home alone i saw it this christmas and ever since then i'm like can we watch home alone can we can we can we i've been doing it like basically every day (laughs) well it is an awesome movie it's one of my favorite christmas movies of time and you know what is your favorite part when it comes to that movie my favorite part is when the wet band is enter the house of doom Uh, the wet bandits yes that house of doom all those booby traps are awesome um now are you ready for your final question my pleasure so ellie your final question what is your favorite thing to do when you don't have to do homework practice piano do chores go to ccd in other words when you have some free time what do you love to do what i love to do when i have free time is read i have lots of favorite series my favorite one of all time is Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And some others that I like are Ramona and Ellie McDoodle. Ellie McDoodle and Ramona. I've seen you read lots of those books. Uh, anything else that you like to do besides reading? Yes. I like to draw, use my iPad, which I just got this Christmas, and watch TV. In other words, watch The Dragon Prince. What do you guys, What do you do on your iPad? What do you guys do? Play games or do you read books? I like to play games on my iPad. It's Especially Candy Crush. Candy Crush? Yes, who's there? Oh, 2010. They want their game back. Ah, just kidding. What other games do you play? I like to play Wordscapes. Wordscapes. That looks like a fun game. You actually, you've asked me for help on that game. And it looks like a very entertaining game. Well, thank you, Ellie, for this wonderful interview and taking the time out of your busy schedule. Anything you want to say to our audience before we end this podcast? In fact, I do. At the start, I told you guys how my favorite talent is to sing. I'm just going to demonstrate a little part of a song for you. Again, you're gone. Off on a different path than mine. I'm left behind. Wondering if I should follow. You had to go, and of course it's always fine. I probably could catch up with you tomorrow. But is this what it feels like to be growing apart? When did I become the one who's always chasing your heart? Now I turn around to find I am lost in the woods. North and south, right is left. When you're gone, I'm the one who sees you home, but now I'm lost in the woods, and I don't know what path you are on. Beautiful, beautiful singing. Well, once again, Ali, thank you very much.
Hey, are you interested in getting interviewed and being a guest on 5 Questions with Mr. V? If so, send me a message on Inmodo or email me at ovelasnsd.net that you are interested and I'll keep you in consideration for being a future guest on 5 Questions with Mr. V. Now, for a couple of reminders for the coming week. Remember, your DNA Origami Masterpieces will be due on Wednesday the 15th, and our DNA Quiz will also drop that Wednesday as well. Our next exam looks to be scheduled on the 22nd and 23rd of January, that Wednesday and Thursday right after our MLK holiday. So, never too early to get that study on. I want to announce that the podcast now also has an Instagram page called Evolving with Mr. V. So go ahead and follow the podcast and give me some likes and some comments. Well, that brings us to an end of episode 18, week 18 of Evolving with Mr. V. I hope you found this podcast informative and somewhat entertaining. I want to thank Free Music Archive and Sound Bible for the music and sound effects on the podcast. This podcast was written, produced, and recorded by Velasquez Productions. Once again, don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment on the podcast on your podcast listening platform. Feel free to email me at ovelas at nsd.net with any comments or feedback. Or you could also follow me on Twitter at APBiologyMrV. Well, this is your host, Mr. Oscar Velasquez, your master of the biological arts, signing off and reminding you to please, please, for your professor's sake, watch The Mandalorian. It's a great show. Oh.